Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Nuts in a Pod. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Emery. And we have a special guest today, Nubia Bennett. Hey! Um, Nubia, I've actually known her for four years. Mm -hmm. Um, We met when we both had started working at Spalding University. Mm -hmm. Nubia was working with students in basically student success, Mm -hmm. supporting students who were admitted with like conditionally mm-hmm. and um, everybody and, else too really yeah and everybody else anybody else who who needed you uh you're basically the academic success coach for mm-hmm. you know 100 students at a time no big deal and nubia moved on after that and you did some work with the mayor's office mm-hmm. correctly and then uh now nubia is on a couple of boards she's on the strategy board for hack excellence mm-hmm. uh, she's also on the board for neighborhood house and she does consulting for civic engagement and youth development. Mm-hmm. So basically, she's an amazing human, oh. and we love her. Mm. Also, we love her hair. It's a beautiful blue purple today. Mm-hmm. Nubia, I have to say that your style like always inspired me when we worked together. I would compliment <laughs> you on your outfits constantly because you just like you emanate joy as a person, mm. and I think that your fashion like reflects that. Mm. That here's somebody who's joyful and like. Or if yeah. if my mood wasn't joyful, then I was gonna make it. It's like we're gonna fake it till we make it. And if somebody else feels good about it, then it's like oh, okay, okay, we're gonna call that in, and we're gonna hope to emanate that too. Because every day is not joyful, that's for sure. But it's a process, right? So and so it's interesting though, dressed to create that joy for mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I've never thought of that because yeah, when I'm depressed, <laughs> I just want to throw on a dirty T-shirt and <laughs> jeans and. <laughs> Oh, I'll wear sweatpants again. (laughs) And and I washed these jeans recently enough. But you know what, though? And I don't want to derail or anything like that. But I thought about like the first few days of quarantine when everybody else was on quarantine. Because, you know, I was on sabbatical. Everybody else was on quarantine. I was on sabbatical. But um, one of the things that I noticed, like one day, for a couple of days, one week, I was like, you know, I'm cleaning up my house. I'm trying to figure out how to make my house together so that I didn't realize it was a mood. Because I didn't. Because I was like, well, I'm not going anywhere. So that doubling down, especially during the quarantine, on making sure, because that is something for me that I need to do. Because I did it every day at work since I was at Spalding. When I went to the mayor's office, when I go anywhere, I'm like, okay, well, I'm dressing. I walked in this today. Like, people can't see it. But I have on, like, a whole, like, bubble skirt and a, and a blouse to walk the bridge. Because dressing up feels good the process of dressing up the process of selecting the things and the colors and all of that stuff it feels good the process does so so at the end of it other people get it and i got it through the process so i love that whatever works (laughs) and try that out this whatever works i'm gonna try that out Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. lots of color if you can yeah also, I mean, there's Nubia here as well, but there's also another special guest who might not be saying much today, but we do want to, Nubia, if you want to present, who is joining us? So, he's like my sidekick. He's my broke best friend. Uh, my son, Malik, he's 13. <laughs> yeah, he's absolutely my broke best friend because he has great ideas and can't fund any of them. But, <laughs> but his name's Malik, so, and he's waving. Well, and you can't hear him, but he's waving. Thank you all so much for joining us today, of course. And then, well, I do have to get into the business before we get into everything else. So mm-hmm. for business, you can find us, of course, here on 106.5 Forward Radio. You can find us on forwardradio.org. You can find us on streaming services, Google Play, CastBox, SoundCloud, 
and what is the iTunes? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> You'll search Forward Radio and then find us. And then you can also find us on Facebook and on Instagram. And you can email us if you have any questions or want to talk about anything or be a guest on the show. Or if you have an idea that you want to talk about, mm. two nuts in a podcast at gmail.com. It is podcast, even though we're a radio show here on 106.5. Uh, that's that's the email address that we have. We still have our podcast roots. Mm. Yeah, we got those podcast roots. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So we can move right into Roses and Thorns then. Mm -hmm. So for new listeners, Roses and Thorns is a segment where we talk about the things that are going well for us, the roses. And then we also talk about the things that aren't going so well for us, the thorns. And part of why we do that is just to recognize that, um, you know, it's important to share with each other both the good things and the the bad things. Absolutely. Because if we sometimes in our culture, we create we kind of create this idea that everyone has to be happy all the time and we have to only just share our good moments with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not a life. No, it's got bad moments too. So roses and thorns. Mm. Who wants to go first? I can go first. I, I felt like the energy was going over here. <laughs> well, I'll do, um, I guess I'll go with, uh, all of my roses and thorns kind of mixed together. So my rose would be, you know, we're in the time right now where there's not only with COVID-19 going mm-hmm. on, but there's also uh, lately, the past few weeks has been uh, the murders of individuals, obviously, in our, in our not only in our community, Breonna Taylor, but also throughout the country, like George mm-hmm. Floyd. Uh, so we've had that go on and the subsequent protests as well. Uh, so obviously there's been a lot going on. And I think one of the things, and I would say this as my rose, is, you know, as, as, a, as a white person thinking about what to do during these times, mm-hmm. and specifically with talking with my family members. And, you know, that's, I'm the youngest of three, and, and then I have uh, two nieces and one nephew, the little nibblings or mm-hmm. whatever the word is <laughs> for that. I don't know. <laughs> nibblings is cute. Is it mm-hmm. nibblings? <laughs> And just talking with my parents mostly. So I think my, my parents are very understanding, but I know my dad, who is just a professional arguer, uh, is very good at it. And you have to you have to pick, you know, you have to be very careful with the words you use yeah. and how you use them and everything. So he's very much about that and difficult to argue with, but he's also very understanding and accepting and wants to hear our opinions and what we have to say about it. So we've had, there was one Saturday where I went over and visited my parents and we practice our social distancing mm-hmm. but i talked we talked for maybe three hours mm-hmm. and that conversation was really deep and very you know tough at times and i found myself getting very angry and anxious at times but also i found my parents to be very receptive my mom was very much like thinking and you know very reflective during it my dad was you know questioning because i think a lot of his questions were based off of what he had seen on the news or certain narratives that are kind of perpetuated by those in power. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was having a lot of issues with. So it was having those conversations and and seeing what they were thinking. And then this week, uh, I met with, we had lunch again, actually just a few hours ago. And then my dad, after everything, and this is what we've been talking about. You know, we haven't really been talking about coronavirus. Now we're talking about the protest and police brutality in our country and the history of it and everything. And my dad asked me if he could join in participating mm. in the protest. Um, and I think, and he said that he felt that he didn't know enough about it and he wanted to experience it to see what it was like. And he wanted to be a participant. And a lot of the things that he said was, you know, he said that he hasn't been listening enough. And I thought that was really crucial for someone like him who is 76 mm-hmm. um, for him to say that. 
and because we had a lot of conversations about privilege and you know th- you know the way you grew up and the things you saw in media and the books you read and the mm-hmm. friends you had and the experiences mm-hmm. you had and i think that was really really powerful to have that mm-hmm. and you know i can post on social media all the time i can talk with my friends all the time but i think really the most impactful thing that i can do with the people around me is my family mm-hmm. and those relationships that have obviously been cultivated for years but those important conversations that need to happen and, you know, we talked a lot about the protest, but I think it was really crucial for my dad just to be like, hey, like, I would I would like to join you if that's OK. That's awesome. And I said that I have to figure out about the coronavirus stuff because <laughs> uh, I know that he's a little nervous about that, too. But, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that he even wants to participate is meaningful to me because I know a lot of people and, you know, especially a lot of white friends that I may have that, that their parents aren't receptive mm-hmm. and their parent. They're not having those conversations or their those conversations are being pretty squashed. But my dad has always been open and receptive to that and my mom is she's 100 100% about it but she's going to be more of a she'll support from home and financially or the book she reads or the book club she's in mm-hmm. or the conversation she has with her friends she doesn't feel as comfortable in the protest setting but my dad who participated in last year it was the the pride month uh, parade mm-hmm. and he said that that you know that was one of the most eye-opening experiences for him because he just didn't see that before and, you know, the the media he consumes and the books that he's read, he just didn't see that. Mm-hmm. And that was really powerful for him. So that was my rose. And Thorne has just been, I guess, just, <laughs> I just <laughs> vaguely gestured like everything. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just like all of this. Uh, uh, That's funny. I think, um, yeah, I think, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, I've been in, I've, so the past six days, I've. Well, the past seven days, I've participated in six marches, and I think that's been really powerful for me. And we've gotten friends involved too, and that's been powerful. And uh, but it's it's also like doing that work and seeing that and being like, okay, I'm really hoping progress is made mm. because whenever I watch old documentaries or read old books that I've read before, or like look at old newspaper articles, I'm like, man, a lot of the same rhetoric and language and narratives are still happening today. Mm. And you know, I'm a very hopeful person, but I'm also skeptical too Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay we're asking for these changes but are they really going to happen are they going to be systemic changes or are they just going to be a nice facebook post because systemic changes are significantly more important and that's what we want and we don't want just feel-good changes yep and but the systemic changes are the one that's going to be very difficult and then also realizing like this isn't this is a marathon like this is going to keep going on and um and yeah so that's been just kind of the the thorn um and i know they're kind of my thorns and roses are always intertwined I got blisters on my feet, so that's a thorn from all the <laughs> marching I've been doing. But because I, I run every day, and then we do the marches as oh, well, gosh. and I was like, okay, my my feet are really sore. Yeah, you could probably cut out the running for now. You're walking miles, right? Well, the running because of COVID, I just started running every day because I was like, I got to get out of this apartment, mm-hmm. and, and my apartment is downtown, and, and it's it obviously it's you know the, a lot of times the protests and marches happen right outside my apartment, so in that way, it's actually very convenient to be involved. Uh, but it's uh, but yeah, just a you know you get sore, your voice gets sore, you mm-hmm. you know you wake up and you like feel like you hear horns honking and protest chants and you know when last Sunday we had tear gas shot at us yeah. and um, and that was that was tough and then even being in the neighborhood and going out on Friday night and seeing you know there was broken windows and stuff like that and stuff that I hadn't seen like, you know, there was things that were on fire and I hadn't seen that before in, in the neighborhood that I live in but it was also like okay like this is Mm. All right, this this has our attention, I hope, and I hope it makes changes. Mm. Um, but, 
Yeah, that was a, that was a lot, but it's a, it's a lot going on right now. Yeah, it is. <laughs> There's so much going on right now. Yeah, I found it hard to think about roses and thorns too because it's just like they're a like billion this. of each. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. they're all yes. Yeah. What so. about you, Nubia? Um. Hmm. Ooh, mine's actually not all that different from yours, Emery, um, because I'm also a downtown resident. So I remember telling people when I was in the mayor's office that because. Um, Okay, let me let me back up a little bit. So my household that I grew up in was all about history and sociology. I, I was raised in a home with a sociologist mother and a historian father. So you can imagine our dinner table conversations, right? Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things my stepdad used to always say to me, the historian, he would always just say, you know, you won't be surprised by anything if you read about your history, right? So, because we know how cyclical all of this stuff is. We know um, that, again, it's a marathon and that we're always, you could just plop 1960-something into, like, Mm -hmm. the rhetoric and just literally say, who said that? That sounds like a Facebook post. And it's like, no, (laughs) that was somebody from the 60s, you know. But, so that is kind of a rose and a thorn for me because it, it, I felt oddly, like, as jarring, of course, as the helicopter noise was and, and the tear gas and the, I wasn't out in the streets, which was also a rose and a thorn again, another thing that's a rose and a thorn. But I live close to all of that, so I could hear all of that happening, and that was super jarring. But at the same time, I was like, well, this is where we're back to, right? Because all of this, if you know your history, this is, this is play by play not to sound like a cynic because there can their real changes have been made in the past that are that have been lasting the pendulum swings you know in lots of directions because you know so that is a rose and a thorn for me right so it's scary it's it is scary it doesn't even if you know like i had this false sense of security because i've grown up in a space of information like information has always been readily available to me like oh well what's happening in the world and if you if you knew my stepdad um dr hudson mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> you just know he give you this nice long litany of books to read and oh well then you drive down the street oh well, 1923 blah 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 you know what i mean <laughs> i literally wrote a whole book about it right but um so it, Information was never, you know, something that I had to reach very far to get. So I had a false sense of security thinking like, well, I know what's happening right now. It didn't stop it from being scary. It didn't stop it from making my anxiety go like through the roof. It didn't stop it from, you know, being sad when you heard about like what happened on 26th and Broadway in the middle of protesting. Mm -hmm. Right. So it didn't change my feelings. And because I grew up in an information kind of house, I leaned very heavily on facts and all of that. So that was kind of a thorn, but at the very same time, it was a rose because it's like I can feel, right? Like it, it, it just reminds you to come back into your body and it reminds you to be like, oh man, like it doesn't matter how much you know, like all that, that's an equalizer too, right? Cause like I like to pride myself on being well read. I like to pride myself in knowing a lot of stuff. I love knowing stuff. Like it's my favorite thing to do is know <laughs> stuff, right? But like it brings, when you bring yourself back into your body with these experiences, it equalizes everybody because the person that doesn't pick up books and read them for fun, the person that didn't go to college, the person that is still out there saying that black lives matter and that all black lives matter and and I, no, no justice, no peace, like all of that brings us down all to the same space. And that to me is a thorn, I mean, I'm sorry, a rose because it just feels good. 
Like when when white people are refusing to be silent and want to talk to their to the, you know we used to say get your cousins that was my favorite thing to say like you want to help go get your cousins right <laughs> like when I would hear when when I'm seeing it when I'm seeing these protests out in what is it St. Uh, Matthews St. Matthews yeah mm-hmm. and that little triangle and they got their little flowers and they're like here you go and they're like honk your horn and I'm like yes I hope y'all are going home and getting your cousins and your aunties and your nibblings too um, and that feels good because I you know it's one thing when people send you a message on Facebook saying oh oh but it's another thing when they are having those hard conversations with their family members. So that balance was a rose and a thorn. And um, so same. Um, mm-hmm. But also, I had to get out of the house. And my and my really good friend, she just randomly... And my, my rose, then, is the divine timing of, of friends and family. But friends, like, that don't have to reach out to you. One of my really good friends just randomly, perfect timing. Because I could feel myself spiraling one day last week. And she just says, Nubia, I'm going to just take a walk because I've been trying to walk every day. Do you want to join me out of the blue? I mean, she lives nearby. So, I mean, it wasn't that far out of the blue. But she hadn't, I hadn't talked to her except for on social media. It was perfect because every single day after that, I'm like, you know what? Whether my son wants to go or not, I'm going to get up <laughs> in the morning and I'm going to walk. And every single day this week I've done that. And I just, even though, obviously, that's another thing to add to my agenda that pushes the rest of the things that are are productive, I'm saying that in air quotes, back, it still feels good. And so, to your point about needing to run anyway, even though you're doing the protest, it's Mm -hmm. it's separate from the physical piece of it. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm going to walk, and I'm going to be by the water. And I'm going to just enjoy, I'm going to watch people. Like I watched a woman today trying to take pictures of her little toddler running down the hill. And I was just like, that's beautiful. And then I was watching a a group of people doing their little boot camp outside. And they were dancing. Because I think it was like a music boot camp. I I wasn't close enough Mm -hmm. to know. But I was just like, okay, I needed to see this. And I need to do this every day to get in touch with the feelings. Because I can go up into, spiral up into like... A tightly wound thing of information, but feeling into being in my on my own body and and realizing that feelings are just as important as whatever I know. That's been a rose. So that's different yeah. than being a thorn too. Look, I separated. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you for sharing. I really relate to what you were saying, Nubia, about the anxiety levels being really high. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that once the protest started, my anxiety. Like, I already have had really high levels of depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. just during the quarantine. Mm -hmm. It's just been really difficult, and especially the way anxiety and depression interplay. Mm -hmm. It's like I my anxiety makes me feel like I need to constantly be running at full speed, but then my depression just wants me to sit down and watch (laughs) TV and numb out. um, Absolutely. So it's like not having a sense of relief ever. And... um, part of it too was i was feeling really like i was nervous about going out to protest like i wanted to support the cause but i also had this extreme and a lot of my anxiety is social anxiety Mm -hmm. and i just had this extreme anxiety about going out and doing it so i was just following people and reading as much as i could and i donated some money um, and then finally i got an opportunity um some friends were going for brianna taylor's birthday yesterday mm-hmm. so i was like okay I, I think i can do this so i went for that um, i just went That's for a awesome. few hours 
and it just was so powerful being there and the celebration of life that they did for her was just amazing they had all these speakers and the theme that everyone talked about it was just like being able to turn tragedy into like politics Mm -hmm. like be able to turn that into this is is how we take action like this is telling us what to do next Mm -hmm. um and that it's just how sad it was that a family had to lose someone um in order for that to happen Mm -hmm. but it's it just it was so amazing to me looking at all those balloons and thinking about like that's how many lives brianna taylor touched who she's never met Mm -hmm. you know like i hope she's looking down i hope Mm -hmm. she can see that Mm -hmm really beautiful um and so that that was definitely like the highlight of my week to just i felt proud that i was able to go and i felt it just felt good doing it Mm -hmm. um and i don't know if i'll go out again Mm because again i mean by the time i got home i was very much in my social anxiety like shutdown mode yeah i was like oh yeah but again i you know what you said nubia like there's other ways you can help and i think for me educating myself and reading as much as i can mm-hmm. and then maybe taking emo's example too of talking to my parents about it because i really haven't talked to my parents about what's going on mm-hmm. i think yeah. i think my dad is pretty like i think they're both very happy about what's happening with mm-hmm. the protests mm-hmm. but i should i want to know that mm-hmm. and have that conversation mm-hmm. well, well also oh. even having the conversations where we're just like I want to make sure the the ground we're setting, the foundation we're setting for my two nieces and nephew, who mm. are, you know, they're three, five, and seven. Yeah, three, five, and seven. <laughs> they're three, five, and seven, and my sister has another one on the way. Aww. So what's the foundation that we're laying for those to make things better for future generations? Absolutely. Uh, because there's some things that are happening now and things that I reflect on in my own life. It's like, hey, this, this needs to be better for them. Absolutely. So thinking about that. But also... I mean, there's a lot of people, yeah, the protest isn't for them. Uh, maybe the marches you know, are mm-hmm. maybe not for them. But just finding, like, what your skill levels are, what you're comfortable mm-hmm. with, and, and using that. Like, I know that, you know, I, I love to write. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually wrote a Facebook post, and mm-hmm. then I deleted it. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to send this to the Courier-Journal. And so I sent it as a letter to the editor of the Courier-Journal, and they ended up printing it. And I was like, you know what? I prefer that because that gets to a different audience. Absolutely. Because cool. I can talk to my little silo because my the article was titled "Wake Up White America," and I was like, I can send that to my friends. They're gonna be like, Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> like we're doing right, that. And right. I was, but I'm like, okay, I wanted to send it to like my parents and like their friends and people who read the physical newspaper because mm-hmm. um, it was in the print edition. So I was like, I want different individuals in the community to see that, mm-hmm. and then seeing it coming from a white person as well mm-hmm. who's saying like, Hey, like. We need to do something. We need mm-hmm. to like have these conversations. We need to listen. Um, so it's just you know finding what makes you comfortable where you can thrive, as opposed to like because otherwise you beat yourself up. Yep. And you're like, yeah. I can't do this. I can't participate. I'm yep. not good enough. And then you're like, Well, now I haven't done anything. <laughs> so yeah. just You're just constantly beating yourself up. You know. Yeah, and that's my thorn too right now is that I feel like I'm so wrapped up in my own anxiety and depression, like in that bubble that it's so hard for me to break out of it and connect with people right now and to connect with like a bigger cause. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like my anxiety and depression is working against me because anxiety and depression just wants you to be alone. Mm -hmm. They want you, it wants you to be alone and sad and not doing anything. Mm -hmm. So I'm having to just actively fight against that every day to try to feel some sort of connection. Um, 
and I'm on as many drugs as I can take to try to feel better. I'm I'm at the max level. Well, buy you some brightly so, colored clothes, okay? I keep telling you, get you some bright colors and wear them. Maybe, I mean, maybe. Um, because cause to your point, Emery, I was thinking that too, because even as a black woman, right, with a black son, you know, you've seen all the posts on social media. Um, I feel like I should be doing more, more, more. Like, there's even, even more of that. Um, because, you know, like... Especially because, you know, I'm like, I got this information. I need to give it to people. And I'm in a different space even when you think about, like, the 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 protest with Mike, Mike Brown and, you know, and all of everything, right? Six years ago, I was in a whole different space. But realizing that I've just never been a person that is on the front lines. I'm not. I mean, you can ask my friends. I'm not gangsta. Okay, I try. <laughs> I can tell you what book to read, but <laughs> that's about it. I can tell you how to be gangsta because there's a good book on that too. But, uh, but I mean, it's just not. And then even, even like my own experiences with social anxiety, because of course I used to tell my students when I was at Spalding that I wear bright colors and, and, and have, like, bright colored hair and stuff like that because I'm not really all that fun. It's just, you know, I can pretend it if I have them bright <laughs> colors. You know, it's great. But um, because in the com- then that starts the conversation. Yeah. Then I don't have to start the conversation. Like, oh, your hair is blue and purple. Oh, it is. You have one red today with it. Yes. And we can just talk about that. And that that always helped me. But I'm not a front lines person. And But that kind of anxiety does creep in even though I know I'm doing the best that I can even though that I know my place of impact is to make sure that I'm raising a child that will make the world better. Like, he's been tasked his heavy shoulder. He has some heavy things on his shoulders for when he grows up. He's going to change the world, right? Um, he looks very relaxed right now, though. Because he's, yeah, he's like, no pressure. I mean, well, because it comes out, like, one day he told me that oppress- power and oppression is the same as a Punnett square. And I was like, please explain, right? And he told me that, like, if you want to explain privilege to somebody, big R, big R is white cis maleness. He's running out because he's embarrassed, but it's fine. <laughs> It's white cis maleness, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have all the power. Um, white women, uh, black men, both have a big R, little R. You just R. I don't know where that came from. And then, like, uh, um, black women or uh, queer people of color, whatever, two little R's. I was like, I never thought about that. Wow. But still, that, but that's because I'm like, you got to read this book. You got to be exposed to all this stuff. So that's work, right? That's literally yeah. work because... That's work to literally throw all that on a person and make it make sense to a person. Mm-hmm. And so that I recognize as a, a skill that I have with my own kid because he got to live with me. But then even with people who aren't related to me, like distilling large amounts of information, that's not a frontline job. People mm-hmm. don't got time to, like, get a reading list from you out there on Broadway. Okay, so that's not my spot. Okay. And even, like, thinking the idea of writing things down, you have way more discipline than I do because I have these writing ideas and just, like, oh, my gosh, let me call Minda and tell her I'm going to write this. Two weeks later, still no writing. <laughs> um, but, like, those are still not – those aren't frontline spaces, yeah. and I don't have the capacity for that, right? And it makes me anxious, and it makes me sad because I feel like – I've come from a family of people who who believe in being out there and yeah and that's just not me and that's okay but yeah. reminding yourself that that's okay and just finding out what that space is to, to echo what you're saying mm-hmm. um emory for sure but i think w- what you were saying as well like you're i mean you were also laying the foundation for your son too mm-hmm. so that's significant work mm-hmm. so you might say like okay i'm not on the front lines of the protest but really like you are on the front lines in some capacity as well mm-hmm. with the foundation that you're laying with your son and yeah. future generations because he's gonna be out here in these streets 
Yeah. I mean, he don't he. I mean, but he don't have to be out here in these streets making the noise. He's gonna be making sure there's space for everybody whose lived experiences need to be amplified. We're going to be out here amplifying voices. And so reminding myself that it's okay, that it's not me, because this isn't about me anyway. It's about moving movement forward. And I did it with the youth that I worked with um, in the mayor's office. I did it at Spalding when I was there. But I saw some of my kids out there. They're not my kids. They're not kids. I only call them kids when I'm speaking of them. In a in a loving way mm-hmm. because they're my youth leaders, okay. But seeing them out there after working with them for two years, and re- when I left and they were sad, like why are you leaving us? And I'm like, you know what? This was never about me. This was me for me to move people out of the way, and for you to understand the rules of engagement. So you're breaking them, and people know you're breaking them on purpose. Like that was my job. So if that's my job, then I don't have to be anxious about. If I'm doing enough, because I throw all of me into that. And and that's how, I mean, I've battled my own anxiety around, am I doing enough? Mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs> and a lot of people probably have that anxiety right yeah, now. Absolutely. Because it's probably coupled with quarantine. There was already this narrative that now that so many of us are stuck at home, that we, we need to be productive, that we need mm-hmm. to be doing things. Mm-hmm. So then add on top of that a huge social justice movement <laughs> right. that, is, that is asking as I, many people as yeah. they can to, to jump on board, then it creates this, mm-hmm. it creates that kind of situation, that pressure. From a mm-hmm. mental health perspective, that makes me so angry. It makes mm-hmm. me so angry to like, oh, well, now you have time at home. You should do oh, this gosh, project. Do yeah. this. It's like, no, just let people be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is enough, enough stress and enough Absolutely. anxiety for people. Like, just let them be. Mm-hmm. And you're making it and you're here. Hey, you did it. Success. Like, I mean, considering everything that's going on, honestly, like, yeah, it's just that always that's very frustrating for me. Absolutely. Right now, I'm just setting the bar low for myself. Like Mm -hmm. when I'm really anxious and depressed, it's like, you know, okay. sometimes it's even rewarding myself that I went shopping or that I Mm -hmm. cooked a meal or Mm -hmm. that, you know, celebrating the little successes. And like yesterday that I was able to show up to a protest event. But I, th- I like what you said to newbie about like lean into where your talents are, mm-hmm. you know, because I think of writing as a talent I have and I'm like, maybe I should write something should. Um, and share it on Facebook or somewhere. Be like Emery, go for the gusto. Just, hey, look, carry a journal. <laughs> I got something for you. <laughs> yeah. That's just, it's because I was honestly tired of like, because you get siloed in a certain um, that framework of. Of okay, I'm just going to talk with my friends, mm-hmm. and the majority of them are like, "Yeah, we agree with you, Emory." And then, but it's it's different when it's like I'm going to push this out to an audience that maybe doesn't necessarily agree with me, um, and try to expose it to more people and more individuals who That's awesome. need to mm-hmm. see that. But um, but yeah, I think I mean, I think Lizzie, whatever you think is is best that you can do. Like I mean, it's it, it, but we just we always add that pressure on ourselves, especially mm-hmm. as individuals that struggle with anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. and then it just. It may, it just forces us into this like cocoon almost where we're just like I don't want to do anything, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a really tough feeling. So moving, yeah. yeah. Sorry, did you want to say something? I did, was going to add to that, and maybe I'll add more. It may be more relevant later. But one of the things though that I have the timing was just perfect because I believe in divine timing. Like when like you know, especially when you're reading a book or just some certain things happen. Um, I was finishing a book by Adrienne Marie Brown called um, Pleasure Activism. I was reading it. I started reading it like in the summer or something last year. And I put it down because maybe it wasn't speaking to me in the moment. 
but when I started on my what I call a sabbatical, I'm telling I'm telling y'all, quarantine is a sabbatical. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I'm, that's what I'm calling it anyway. Um, but when I started that, I was like, you know, let me finish this book, and I, it was right around March, and so I just picked it back up. It was the end of February, beginning of March, actually, and. It was just talking about like activism, though, and how we make um, resistant, um, sorry, liberation irresistible, right? And that's really what the book was about. But of course, if you're talking about activism and a fight for liberation, of course, she's going to be talking about these moments, these low moments, because it's a marathon. And anybody that's been doing any level of social justice work recognizes it as a marathon, period. And this is prior to any of these, uh, any of these demonstrations it was the beginning of COVID. Like it was just a whisper. So like none of this stuff was relevant at the time. And this idea that she was presenting, I say to me, she wasn't talking to me. It was a book, but, uh, (laughs) but this idea that I was being presented with about just centering pleasure in all of it. Right. Like, and, and it sounds counterintuitive because you're like, but the world is going to, well, I don't know how, censored we are on this radio show yeah, but you know what i'm saying words, but yeah we know what you mean <laughs> you know where i was going with that right so mm-hmm. like and, and in the middle of all of that you i mean because her resume is deep when it comes to like the level of activism that she's involved in and just the intersections even of it and so just this idea of centering pleasure and pleasure being defined as just the things that really bring you back into your body really bring you back into the space like i can do this and 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 there, of course, you know, I'm not prepared with my quotes, but, you know, I'll probably send you some when this is over. But yeah, um, please send like book recommendations. Absolutely. I've had several people recommend her that yeah. particular book. Oh, it's yes. Perfect timing for now. But it was weird because I finished it in like March ish. And I just was like, okay, well, I'm going to figure out, you know, how to take some of these practices and put these into my day. This is even before things got really, really stressful. And I created a reading schedule. And I know I was joking with you all before um, because I have the time. I'm I'm starting a whole project where I'm reading all of Anais Nin's books, like from beginning to end. And I'm on book two. And it's every morning, right? And then I have coffee every morning and I'm reading my book and I started planting my plants and I have never had a green thumb in my life. My thumb is brown literally and figuratively. Okay. (laughs) But I got some plants growing. Okay. But like, as I'm reading and as I'm and as I'm and as I'm living, because I, I don't have to be productive every day, I'm literally creating a space in my home in the ways that I can that feel good. And like when I leave, I get dressed up for my day as if I got somewhere to go. Some days I do, some days I don't, because you know with the world opening up a little bit, some days I do actually have things to do. And I'm like. I put a flower wall up. I made a flower wall up on my wall. Like, literally, my house has to be a space of pleasure. And that commitment to that has made me able to be more present for everything else. Mm. And centering. Like, it it seems counterintuitive because you're like, oh, you know, this puritanical idea of work in this country. Like, be productive. You have time. You should be doing something. I am doing something. I'm literally saving myself. Thank you very much. And so... That had, that the timeliness of reading that book has been, I mean, gold. It's been literal gold for me because it those moments. Cause I still spiral out. 
you know, some days, I mean, hearing those helicopters was a lot. But my my ability to bounce back has improved tremendously because I'm reminded to remember these pleasure practices, whatever mm. they are. And, she, and and if you read the book, she talks a lot about there's no judgment in what those are. You're just not harming other people. I mean, that goes a lot deeper for a book review or something like that. But, yeah. but I mean, that has been, and I probably have answered your question before you answered it, but, I mean, before you've asked it, but that idea of centering pleasure in knowing that it's providing me with the strength to be intentional about helping other people. I can't, because you can't pour from an empty cup. So that, that's been gold for me during this time. So I would think that would be so good for your reading something like that would be so good for your mental health. Mm -hmm. Like I was wondering if you could talk about the ways that race does come into play with your mental health, Mm -hmm. because that's a huge thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, when you have to deal, like, as a black woman, like, when you have to deal with racism every day. Like, and sexism. That leaves us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That leaves a psychic mark every on day. you every day. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm just curious. It's like, how how is that how has that relationship been in your life of mental health to kind of your feelings about, about racial equality? Mm-hmm. And that might be too hard to connect, but... Uh, actually, no. <laughs> Luckily, that I mean, there's a whole body of scholarship behind that. Thank goodness, because it gives me language. And for me, having language is like, ooh, that's what it is. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, there's a word for this. This is awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it literally when I hear like even now in the middle of these protests and in the middle of um, I mean, in the middle, in these protests in the middle of COVID, right? Because you got to layer all the things, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting because it's always like, it's like a lens. You know, people talk about intersectionality. Like, it's like, you know, they, they, they make it like identity politics or something like that. Like, oh, okay, well, let's just take this identity and this identity and put them together. And that's not what it is. It's literally a framework and, as a, and a lens, right? Because everybody is situated on these intersections, you know, of race, gender, class. So many things, right? It's just like intersection, 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 just stacked, right? So being a black woman, when COVID hit, for example, I almost knew that what I know is that like most of the healthcare spaces, right? And not the doctors, but a lot of nurses are black women, right? And even when I say nurses, I'm not just talking about RNs. I'm talking about uh, CNAs and LPNs, right? So the ones that aren't paid right mm-hmm. uh it, what they should be um but are on the front lines and when you think about the staff that cleans the hospitals and and make sure all of that soiled dangerous stuff is in a safe place put away a lot of them are black women too and, and it, um there were some lots of articles talking coming out of New York and South Bronx that were talking about how whole neighborhoods most of them were healthcare mm-hmm. um adjacent um, workers, right? And a lot of them were single black woman-led households. So, right, so you're talking about the health inequity right there. So it's like, well, of course, black women are going to get the worst of that. And then you fast forward to, you know, um, with the Breonna Taylor demonstrations and, and George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey, like all of them, right? Even when I'm watching the news, I, one of the things I always tell Malik is, you know, always think about what's not being said because it'll be said eventually by a black woman but you know how that listening goes right so then there's the layers of the listening knowing that some of this stuff we've been saying the whole daggone time but 
when you look at the news, if you look at the news and you hear how all of the protests are for George Floyd and you're like, mm, absolutely not. That's not it. And I can list you at least 100 black women who have been murdered by police. You know what I mean? So the erasure piece um, always brings up a level of anxiety because you're being erased um, externally and internally and disregarded. I mean, like, it's layers of it. And it's something that, for me, because I like information, having language around it, I guess it's helpful because it's like, well, I can tell you exactly what my issue is. But at the same time, it's also, again, you know, I can, you'll, you'll hear me keep coming back to this idea of having information and how it feels. Like, this time has really highlighted for me that, you know, it's okay to feel it. Like, you can know it because, again, I've spent so much of my life spending time gathering information because I'm, like, freak, uh, frantically gathering information because the way sometimes my anxiety will show itself is because I'm good at gathering information, I'll just keep gathering more information. <laughs> and somebody needs to stop me and be like, look, Nubia, it's okay to just feel it. Like, just feel it. It's fine. And because I felt like the more I knew... um then there's more I could do with this information and not necessarily you sometimes just got to feel it so it's hard and one of the things that I've been doing to so it's still hard so to answer the question in terms of how it feels it's one of those things it's like it's in the air it's like oh I know the air is polluted but I still got to breathe this so you know but at the same time what's been really because the world has had to slow down with COVID one of the things that has really stood out to me is it's okay to feel it and like I mentioned earlier I'm helping my son with redo his room and every day I just have a small little goal that's like you know what today we're gonna go through your drawers and get rid of the clothes that are too small and that's not the whole room. That's just one thing. Yeah. And one of my other Facebook friends who's really excited about, you know, doing work in this movement, she has a whole PhD in Pan-African Studies and everything. She suggested she got these little bath lights that are like LED lights that are waterproof, which is really just those little LED lights you stick under the ice sculptures. You can put those in the bathtub because it's waterproof. Just so you know. <laughs> put it in there. And you can create a bath experience, right? And she takes midday baths. And a midday nap every day. And I was like, what? Now, I can't do a midday bath or a midday nap. Only don't do the midday bath because I don't have mirrors. I don't have windows like for sunlight. That's the point. But the point of it is creating an experience out of that. And it's like, okay, well, I've accomplished something today. So you flip that whole idea of being productive on its head, right? I'm going to create an experience out of literally everything because that's just what I do anyway. Leaning in on your talents. I create experience out of everything. Everything's experience. So knowing that this weight is huge, it's heavy, and it's been there my whole life and having time. So what are you going to do with that time? Can you make it productive? Not in the sense of what are you producing, but what are you doing for yourself? If you can't go out and protest, if you can't go out and even if you don't have it to write a beautiful essay to submit to someone... I'm about to take this midday bath, though, and it's going to have lights, and, and, and it's going to smell good, and it's going to be wonderful, because I got time. Yeah. And if my anxiety's tripping, my social anxiety's tripping, and I can't be around people because I'm worried I'm going to get COVID, okay, well, I'm about to cook this nice little meal that's super simple because I found the super simple ingredients because I tried to plan ahead on my good day, mm-hmm. um, and that's what I'll do. Because I'm still a black woman in this world that hates me. And that is what it is. Um, I'm working to do what I can to change it. 
But on the days I don't feel good, I'm just going to do something for myself and make and write it down so I can see it. Because on those days, I know you mm. mentioned on some of those days, the way anxiety and depression work together is they're like, I should be doing something. Write it down so you can see it. Because if, if there's nobody else in my home that's going to tell me to slow it down and do something that's on my list of things to do, it's already written on my wall. So it's like, oh, shoot, I need to do that. Because the time's still there. So... I saw the um, and this this ties in a little bit, also ties into mental health as well. But I saw a picture that you posted this mm-hmm, morning on mm-hmm. Facebook uh, with you and Malik, and I'm sure you have many cute, sweet pictures with Malik <laughs> that maybe he doesn't love as much as you do right now. Uh, but it said uh, something to the effect of "Black joy is resistance." Absolutely. And I wanted you, if you don't mind, to speak a little more about that and what that means to you. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's my favorite. Yes, I do have some other pictures that he's just like, I don't like this picture. But I love it, so it is what it is. Um, he can he can do his own Facebook when he turns 16, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, that idea, so this idea of black joy is resistance. We spend, we see, and this kind of goes back to that whole um, Adrian Marie Brown book that I was speaking about earlier. Just this idea is when you, <laughs> she tells a story, and my sister actually tells a very similar story about how when her parents would take her to like these um, community organizing meetings. My sister says it, you know, because we used to, you know, my parents have been really into the movement, like, since before we were born, right? So my sister, who's older, would go with my mom sometimes to some of the, like, just different little community organizing meetings. And my sister would just be like, they look so tired. <laughs> like, they look tired. Like, they're trying to get free, but it's, they tired. I mean, and it is hard work, right? Yeah. So when I got to college and, you know, I had friends who were super involved, because a lot of people get involved with community organizing in college, college age, because like, life ain't fair. Like, what is going on? So you go and you realize how hard this work actually is. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, so that's why people get burnt out, especially black women, because we're erased enter, like, not just by the outside world, but even by spaces, whether you're fighting for feminism in the big, you know, big F feminism or or you're fighting for against racism. One of your identities is highly likely to be ignored, um, if not both of them. So it's easy to get super burnt out. And I'm like, I can't be burnt out for my child. Like, literally, he didn't have a birthday party last year because I was so freaking stressed out. He turned 13. That's like a big deal. But... He didn't have a birthday party. And I'm sure I made up some reason like, oh, your grades weren't what they needed to be or something like that. (laughs) But really, in reality, now he's getting the truth. I was tired. I was really, really tired. And I was really, really burnt out. And just this idea of in the last year, I'm just like, I'm in reading that book. And just in general, after being really tired for a year, I'm like, I'm still resisting if I'm committed to joy. Right. And because we get shamed and for having a good day if the world is still crappy, but the world's been crappy for a really long time. So mm. it's like, I got to live through today. So like it's, res- I'm resisting this idea that I'm supposed to work my fingers to the bone, even if like for, for my, for a job that doesn't care about me, like, you know what I'm saying? If I'm working in a space that they don't identify that black lives matter or that all black lives matter or whatever the case may be. And this is just hypothetically speaking, but also in a community that sometimes erases some parts of my identity. Like, at the end of the day, the person that's going to have to watch out for for me, I hate to sound like, you know, this whole isolated is me, but, like, keeping a good eye on centering my own pleasure and my own joy in the context that I am still always existing to fight 
for liberation of all people. So being committed to my own joy allows me to make sure I have the boundaries necessary to say, Malik, we're going to go out and just enjoy the sun today because it's Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? And you just need some sunlight today. You know what I mean? If I'm not centering joy, then I'm not raising a joyful child that's going to change the world one day. If I'm not centering joy, I'm not going to be I'm not going to have the energy to, to to show up at a protest or write a beautiful writing, you know, write something that somebody that impacts someone. I'm not going to have the energy to do any of the things. So that's resistant, even if it looks like I'm just getting ice cream. You know what I'm saying? Or mm-hmm. if it just looks like I'm like I stayed up not for this color, but when my hair was pink and purple like a month ago. I stayed up to five o'clock in the morning. Like I had somewhere to be the next day just so that I could be like, well, my hair is pink and pink and blue today. Like, because it felt good. You know what I mean? And and if I can show up in the world and it brings somebody else joy, um, that's resistance. Like joy as resistance is the same thing as doing the hard work of making sure somebody is fed because you can you can feed people when you're fed first. So. And I love that. I love that as an act of defiance too. Mm. That joy can be an act of defiance. You know, I when, love defiance. When, <laughs> yeah, when you have a culture telling you, in every way, trying to discourage you and trying to uh, make you feel like less than mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. it's so defiant to say like you know what? You can't stop me from feeling joy. Mm-hmm. I'm centering that first, so then you can get me after I'm done with that. Yeah. I mean, and and doing that, no matter what the context, has been the lesson for me this year, because even when I'm thinking about, like, that idea of the boundary that you start setting, right? Like, whether you're setting it against white supremacy, whether you're setting it against, you know, any other form of racism, whether you're setting it against your own family, like, listen... My line in the sands right here, you stepping on it, move. You know what I'm saying? It's still, it still, it saves you. And it's very, I don't want to say empowering, because empowering sounds like somebody else gave me power. But, like, it it allows me to be, you know, what is that the saying? Like, be the change you want to see. Mm-hmm. Because when you impose your boundaries, people don't like it, but they can't do nothing about it. So, <laughs> and have to have other people tell me that the way that I imposed my boundaries for myself help them impose boundaries for other people so that they can protect their spaces, then that to me is an act of defiance against a system that says you don't have them. Because, I mean, we know that a lot of these systems will keep stepping on boundaries until you say stop. So, yeah. I think that's so healthy is to set those boundaries. Absolutely. Because otherwise people will abuse them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's even, I I just recently joined a a book club that's uh, it's like a, a a friend, but it's national, mm-hmm. um, and it's led it's led by a black woman. And one of the, the responders, they said like, "Hey, can you have a few suggestions for articles I should read for this?" And and she just said no. <laughs> she said she said she said no, but you could use Google to find a few of them. And I was like, "All right." Like she established those boundaries, yeah. but it's because she as a black woman has been asked to do so much extra work mm-hmm. so not only is, are these all, all these systems working against this individual and saying we don't respect you we don't care about you we don't like you but then other people who you think should be you know working with you they're asking you well, hey what should i do and it's like well Google. there's 
there's <laughs> literally so many resources. That's what you should do. <laughs> and, and it just so that that that's that, I think that's so important though to establish Absolutely. those boundaries to you know secure your own mental health because then you can be the best you can be mm-hmm. for you know your little village around you mm-hmm. and then you know that's gonna only that's gonna make the change in the world that you need. And she was being nice. Uh, she said Google because like uh, this is why I love Black Twitter so much. Um, <laughs> most people now when they're like, who should I go? Like, can you help me find this information instead of dropping the Google link? They'll drop a cash app. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, yeah, Google you, is free. I'm not. Thanks. I'll give you advice for somebody. Yes. <laughs> that's called consulting. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. So, mm-hmm. I've got, um, there's a group at Spalding that's been going for the past couple of years, and it's called Talking Race. Mm, and we actually. That's still going. Yeah. That's so, awesome. Um, we just were picking a new podcast to listen to so we listen to podcasts and we discuss them so the first one there was a podcast called uh seeing whiteness i think is what it was mm-hmm. um so it just went into a lot of like history mm. um that you know people don't get in school <laughs> and like in trying to understand like white supremacy and mm-hmm. where it you know where it was found where it comes from and so now we're shifting to the podcast we're going to be listening to is Hope and Hard Pills. I don't know if you've ever Mm-mm. heard that. They actually had Adrienne Murray Brown on there. Oh, she's amazing. On an episode. Um, but I'm looking forward to that conversation. I, I was thinking about that the other day um, with all of this going on in the world. That's one space where I do feel like I'm always learning and I'm doing it in a very connected way. Mm-hmm. Like I'm doing it with like real people who I work with and care about. And just having tough conversations. I'm so glad that it's still going, though. Because I think when I... It was getting ready to start. It was starting when I was leaving. Yeah. In, like, 2018, I think. I think. Yes, when I left. Yeah. And it was the talking... It was the, the black and white book, the... The oh, right. talking right. It was the talking started, race book. <laughs> that's right. Even before the podcast, they started with the book. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so yeah, much, thank Nubia. Thank you so much. Everything you said, I mean, this was just such a great experience sitting here with you. And I'm so inspired by a lot of the things that you said. And I just, I want to be you. Um, you like, <laughs> mentor me. Um, We're bright colors now. <laughs> but thank you so much of for course. coming and for bringing your beautiful son. You want to say something? <laughs> so 13. And, and also don't forget to, of course, you can find us. On here at 1065 Forward Radio, forwardradio.org. You can find us on streaming services, iTunes, SoundCloud, CastBox, Google Play, Facebook us, Instagram us, email us. And thank you, Nubia, again for joining us. This has been pay them bills, boy. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a wonderful experience yes, and, and really delightful. So, so thank you so much. Thanks so much. Yay. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thank you for listening to Two Nuts in a Pod on Forward Radio. Please keep in mind that we are not mental health professionals, and all of our opinions are based on our personal experiences. If you'd like to speak to a trained professional, call National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. Original theme music for Two Nuts in a Pod was composed by Neil Lucas. 